and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now chapter 20, verse 1. And God spake these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them, for I am the, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rest of the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we have read your holy word, the Bible, we pray that your Holy Spirit might teach us, instruct us, 
Oh, that we admit in humility that we are at your mercy. For if you not speak to us from these words, these be all vain, idle tales. And we be lost in a dark ignorance separated from you into eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Obviously, I read to you the Ten Commandments. It's a wonderful reading, isn't it? The Ten Commandments is not only significant in our Bibles, it doesn't need to be said, but the Ten Commandments is significant to our nation, to our liberty. It seems like just some old archaic words of thou shalt not, but I don't care if you're part of the greatest generation they called or the product of them a baby boomer or a millennial or Gen Z. How do you feel when somebody steals your stuff? Pastor Darrell over there, the city of refuge, he told me once about his first-hand knowledge of a boy in our local school for Daryl's not just a pastor, he's intricately involved in our local schools. And the police had been called because the boy had a significant sum of money in his book bag. And so the police were called. There was a significant amount of cash in his book bag. This has not been recent. And so when the police got there and took possession of a significant amount of cash and the boy's book bag, of course, they need to know where the cash came from. It came from my dad. And the story was, as they investigated, his dad was selling drugs. And the boy was, knew where his dad's stash was. Daryl told me, he said, but you know the irony of it? I said, what's the irony? He said, as I talked with that boy and that dad, for I knew these people, as I talked with that dad, he was so upset his son stole his money. I said, Daryl, he's a drug dealer. I know. <laughs> I know, but he was, he was flabbergasted his son stole his drug money. There's an honor even among thieves, isn't there? Thieves don't like their stuff stolen. We know there are rights and wrongs, and we know when someone wrongs us, we just don't like to confess and admit when we're out of the right. And the Ten Commandments has served free people if they would regulate their lusts, their passions, their desires, their, their tongues, their bodies, their minds, if they would regulate themselves by these Ten Commandments, which are somewhat of a moral and sacred foundation to a lot of commands and statutes and precepts that would come from the Bible, from God, and find a summation within the New Testament Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Luke, where Jesus was polled of what is the greatest and he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, all other of God's sacred or moral or civil duties, 
rest upon this sense that I have a duty before God? And he said, the second is like unto itself, love your neighbor like you love yourself, for love works no ill toward their neighbor. And Romans 13 would tell us that how much easier it would be for our civil authorities if we could just keep the love part. Because love works no ill. But it's impossible really to love your neighbor if you can't esteem your creator. We fail. This week I had the opportunity to sit in on a forum in a historic church in the inner city. And the forum was between Central Ohio police chiefs and members of the clergy who had been invited to have a forum to address the subject of youth violence. And the police chiefs and members of various police departments sat at a table in front of us clergy that were sitting out in the audience with a microphone and we had the opportunity to approach the microphone and, and express our grievances from our people, from our communities and how the police are interacting with our communities. And obviously uh, there is tension between policing and communities, that's not news. But the news is becoming more alarming when we think of police interacting with our youth, particularly addressing youth violence, because youth violence is increasing, right? It was not an antagonistic meeting, by the way. It was not an antagonistic relationship. It really was, let's listen to each other. And and the police were saying, we want to hear from you. And there are times when the police are unfairly picked on. There are times when police officers or police departments need to be closely examined, critiqued, and maybe even charges brought up against an individual officer. They must obey the law too. They must abide by the Constitution also. But there was a point in the evening in my own thoughts, I just thought to myself, let's see. We've got all the police up there, and some of, not all the comments, but some of the comments are, police, what's wrong with you? Not all, but sometimes you get that employed. Police, you've you got to rethink. So in my mind, I had heard announced that next forum would be educators and police commanders, and I guess it would be of the same, hopefully, beneficial mutual conversation, not antagonistic. But in my mind, I thought, how we could switch that, couldn't we? We could put the police out in the audience and put the educators at the tables and say, you're failing our kids. And then I thought, but we could switch this tonight. We could put the police in the audience and we could put the clergy at the table and say, what are you doing in our communities? How did you abandon the Bible for your sociology and your psychology? Some of you still have your churches closed. And where, where, where are you supposed to go when you're demonstrating such an irrational fear for self-preservation? No wonder youth violence is up. You close the schools. So I'm sitting there with this conflict going on in my head that maybe the police and the clergy should change positions because we have some accountability here too. But after we've done that, the last forum we should have is we should have the parents. And we should have the parents sit up there and let the institution say to the parents, you have a responsibility 
for your children. And we should hold you accountable for your children. Because parents are responsible for their children. Right? Your children, not my children. When each of my children reached 18, I congratulated them, shook them on the hand, gave them a big hug, and said, now you go to jail, not me. (laughs) I meant it. I absolutely meant it. It was a relief. Okay, now you are civilly adults. Morally, I know we're still walking together. Relationally, I'm in it for the rest of my life with you. Where you suffer, I'll suffer with you. The easiest call to make in the world is, Dad, can I come home? Been there. The most forgiving and accepting person in the world is a mother. I expect that when somebody has done off something awful criminally in our community, if there's one human being who's pleading their case, I expect it to be their mother. I forgive all mothers who plead the case of people who are being punished for really bad things. I expect nothing less than a mother. The loyalty and the love of a mother. As I was approaching this sermon, I did contemplate, this isn't much of a Mother's Day sermon. You know, Moses is on the mountain, quaking, wondering, thundering, lightning, people are shaking, thou shalt not. This is not much of a Mother's Day sermon. I thought, wow, this is a Mother's Day sermon. It's the fifth command. The place within our morality to honor your mother and your father. Paul, in Ephesians chapter number 6, says this is so important because you should recognize it as the first commandment with promise. In other words, that there is an inherent benefit attached to respecting the guidance of your parents regardless of your age. There's an inherent benefit because your mother and your father have a natural love. Now, there are exceptions. In human depravity, there are exceptions. And we know fathers who have been wicked, and the depth of the wickedness is when they harm the children. And we know of mothers who have been wicked, and the depth of the wickedness is when they harm the children. I remember back in the early 90s when our media was riveted to a tearful woman down in one of the Carolinas who had claimed that a man had hijacked her car and stole her two little boys that were strapped in the back seat. Remember that? We prayed. We wept. We searched America for this woman's car and children until the truth came out that she drove that car to the edge of a quarry pond, put it in neutral, and let it go in to drown her children. Shocked us. Shocked us. Now, oh my, oh my, where are we going? John Adams, second president of the United States, said that our Constitution is made for a moral and righteous people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other In other words, as there's people who are saying we need to revise the Constitution because it doesn't work, I disagree with you. The Constitution needs to stay as it is. It's a hope of individual liberty, 
It is to protect me from the government and from my neighbor. But I'll concede to you, it doesn't work if you ignore a moral authority from heaven. Just not enough police officers. There's just not enough police officers. Charles Carroll, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, said, Without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. They, therefore, who are decrying the Christian religion, whose morality is sublime and pure, are underlying the solid foundation of morals, the best security for a duration of free government. 1800. This was going on. 1800, he was concerned that people were attempting to undermine the place of the Christian faith within our nation for fear we would fall apart. Huh? 121 years later, the battle hasn't ceased. It just keeps morphing in different directions. One generation after the other has the responsibility to hold the word of God as an infallible witness to God before our community. And thus saith the Lord, we shall give an account. James Madison, fourth president of the United States, said, We staked our future on our ability to follow the Ten Commandments with all our heart. We staked the future of American civilization, listen, not upon the power of a government, but upon the capacity to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God, 1778, to the General Assembly of the State of Virginia. And Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of the United States, said, In regards to this book, the Bible, I have to say it is the best gift God has given to men. All the good of the Savior gave to the world is communicated through this book, but for it we could not know right from wrong. All these things most desirable for man's welfare here and hereafter are portrayed in it. And yet, there's been a constant battle. Stone versus Graham, November 17, 1980. The Supreme Court heard a case from the state of Kentucky where the state of Kentucky had required a printed copy of the Ten Commandments to be erected on every school classroom wall. And the majority ruled against the state of Kentucky, citing the Establishment Clause to be the problem. But within the majority rule, they also said, If the Ten Commandments are integrated into school curriculum, posting religious texts on the walls serves no educational function. If the posted, listen to this, this is November 17th, 1980. If the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect of all, it would to induce school children to read, to meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments. However desirable this may be, it is not permissible. It is not permissible to let school children look at Ten Commandments, meditate upon them, venerate them, and obey them. That's against our Constitution. Well, where have we gone from one generation to the other in our schools? Failing. The dissenting opinion was written written by Judge Rehnquist, who said, There is a legitimate, legitimate secular purpose to the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments have had a significant impact on the development of secular legal codes of the Western world. I agree. The Ten Commandments has significant secular impact. You can't govern an irreverent society that doesn't fear God or the commandments of God. These Ten Commandments, which if you look at them, the first four are vertical in nature. The first four are in verses number three, four, seven, and eight. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven image, verse four. Sacred name of God, verse seven. Remember a Sabbath day, a day of worship, verse eight. These first four commandments, I like to reference them as vertical. This is when I'm looking up toward God. This is, this is how I relate to this God on Mount Sinai. The following six, which follow the four, are horizontal. They begin in the first institution of a civil society, family, because that's where God began society. He made Adam. He made Eve. He said, be fruitful, multiply. And hence, the descendancy of all humanity from the single point of creation. We're all brothers and sisters. And then it it narrows to the ark. Noah with the eight upon the ark coming off the ark saying, I'll be fruitful and multiply. We're even closely related, even closer than Adam and Eve. And so society begins with our mothers and our fathers. And today is a fitting day that we remarkably remember these mothers. Moses had a remarkable mother, did he not? Jochebed, spoken of in Exodus chapter 2, a Levite woman who gave birth to Moses in a time when the Pharaoh of Egypt had ordered a genocide upon the male-born children of the Hebrew slaves, throw them into the Nile. Instead, she hid him for three months until she could hide him no more, risking her own life and her own independence, finally making an ark of bulrushes, coating it with tar and pitch. She placed the love of her life into the boat and pushed it from the reeds into the Nile. What an incredible woman. Amen. George Washington said, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my successes in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. And Abraham Lincoln, all that I ever hoped to be, he said, I owe to my angel mother, two of the greatest of our presidents, who remarked upon the place of their mothers in their lives. I can think back in my mind, to when I came here as pastor. But before that, I knew Jack Hazlett. Jack Hazlett, who raised his family down here in a tiny little house on Westfall that's probably smaller in perimeter than my garage. But you know, he's part of that greatest generation. Grew up, came through the Great Depression, went off to World War II with children, 
still at home because that, at that point in the war, they began to draft the fathers. They'd expended single men. Thankfully for his family, he never actually saw combat. The war came to an end and they sent him back to his little home on Westfall, his seven children, to his life as a sheet metal worker, and to his place in this community and this church. And Jack lived to be well into his 90s, mid-90s, if I remember. If Annie was here, she would tell us exactly. But I think as long as I live, I'll never forget Jack and the influence he had on me. He had always had thick white hair, something that a man like me could envy. (laughs) When I was 18, I had thick, dark hair. My wife, she had no idea how precious that would be. Precious memories is what that's all about. But I remember so well, uh, you know, Jack with his thick, white, almost blue hair and those military-grade aluminum glasses, you know, the, the ones I'm talking about, kind of that got that beautiful. But then I also remember Jack would bring in his guitar, and on Mother's Day, he always insisted singing his favorite song. It was by Howard uh, Johnson, a word that means the world to me. M is for the million things she gave me. O means only that she's growing old. T is for the tears she shed to save me. H is for her heart of purest gold. E is for her eyes with love light shining. R means right. Right she will always be. Put them all together, they spell mother. I could hear Jack saying. And she means the world to me, he would say. Or that means the world to me. But Jack always had a special way about him, especially with his old Gibson guitar. But what impressed me the most is I would look at this man who was 95 years old singing about his mother. He was old as father time in my eyes. He was like, you know, great old wisdom. But he never outgrew singing about his mother. And he would also comment about the mother he had who had given him seven children, how wonderful she was. What an appropriate day that we look at these commandments and realize that with a heart that is reverential toward God, we then can have a heart that is reverential and honoring to our fathers and our mothers. From that, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not covet. Hey, social justice warriors who seem to beat the drum that others have everything while you have nothing. You know there's a Tenth Commandment. I was thinking to myself, I grew up still in a generation, I'm so thankful, I grew up in a generation that was taught in school on Martin Luther King Day during that holiday, holiday to always revere the work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and the cause of the Civil Rights Movement and reading his quotes that people would be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, and believing that the dream of America was equality and opportunity. There's a real bait and switch going on. The bait and switch is equity. And it's not the same. Equity and entitlement. That's the bait and switch. And it's not just toward our minority populations. It is also being aimed to us white people 
who are also among maybe the working poor or the struggling middle class. It's this concept that America is not a nation of equality and opportunity. America is an oppressor of the working poor, such as I might be considered. I don't consider myself poor. But when you look at the federal government's estimation of my IRS form, I'm always qualifying for something among the poor. So what does the government want me to think? The government wants me to think it's an evil institution we're living in, and equality and opportunity is a farce. The reality is what we need is equity and entitlement. And that bait and switch will take away your civil liberty. It'll take away your civil liberty. And I shouldn't get off on this. I better be careful. What right does the government have to tell me how to make my personal choices? Whether I want to drink a 64-ounce soda? Can't do that in some places. Or on and on we go. A central government that's getting more powerful to usurp individual rights is doing that while they lull us to sleep. Right? They figured it out. If you send just a segment of the population money, the other segment of the population says, oh no, we're going to vote you out. Here's a better idea. Send everybody money. Then we're too busy spending it to say anything. Man, I, I don't want to speak. They must cut off my money. What do you do when they shove out so much money, your money's not worth anything anymore? What do they do when all of that hard-earned savings where you disciplined yourself, where you said no to yourself and you put away the rainy day fund and the rainy day fund won't hardly even take a spring shower anymore? Because you go to the grocery store to cook your mom's hamburgers on Mother's Day because you're tightwad and you don't want to spend it at the restaurant. It's too expensive. You pull out your MasterCard because you realize it's $60 to to cook my grandma, my mom's hamburgers. Are you kidding me? What happened? Keep doing that right there. It'll get harder and harder. It's a social science called political science. The freedom that we come to respecting these laws that would include that we, in verse 17, would look at it ourselves as a moral responsibility to not have the greedy desire for what belongs to our neighbor, but instead have a vision for working and earning what will belong to you and what you can share with your neighbor. The boat done left the dock so long ago that it is bleak times. These Ten Commandments fit so well with Mother's Day and Father's Day because here is a sacred opportunity to see not only freedom, but true honor toward the people who've loved us and been with us. These Ten Commandments are part of what's called and a theological system, a covenant. Specifically, 
the Mosaic Covenant. If you've been paying attention, you've seen that God's made a series of promises that are called covenants. He made a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden concerning a fruitful life if they would keep a covenant and fellowship with him. He made a promise to Noah when Noah got off the boat that he would not destroy the earth with water and he would symbolize that with the rainbow. He called a man by the name of Abram from the Ur of the Chaldees who was previously an idolater and he promised him a series of promises that would include a child, a nation of fame, a land, multitudes, a blessing, and we call it the Abrahamic Covenant. And then he takes these people and the remnants of them, the descendants of that covenant, from Egyptian bondage, and he leads them on eagles' wings to Mount Sinai, and he says to them in chapters number 19 and 20, which then they will make a sacrificial offering and seal this with blood, and we call, we call this biblically the Mosaic Covenant. It's the concept that Israel can be God's chosen people and live as God's chosen designated people within the designated land for as long as they will keep his law. They will fail at that. They will fail at that in the soonest in the book of Numbers. Chapter 13, when God wants to lead them into the land and they say the land's filled with giants, we can't do it. We're going back to Egypt. And God says, well, since you won't see, keep my covenant, you're not going back to Egypt. Twenty and above will die in the wilderness. And so there'll be another generation under Joshua that will go in. But before they go in, Moses will bring the next generation before his covenant in Exodus 32, before this covenant through Moses, and expect them to keep it. And they will. But they won't keep it for very long. They will break it. And in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 33, and Ezekiel 36, we'll get to it more later in the future. God says to Israel through the prophets, these two prophets, you've not kept my covenant, my Mosaic covenant, but there is another covenant I made with David. And that covenant with David, because that's the Davidic covenant, means there will be a king who will rule my people forever and he will bring Another covenant. In Luke chapter number 1, in Luke chapter number 1, it says that an angel came to Mary and said to her, Fear not, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will rule. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There will be no end. And that is the promise that God has kept his word. And the Davidic covenant is being fulfilled. The king is coming. There will be one to sit upon that throne. Fast forward 33 and a half years later, and here comes Jesus of Nazareth riding upon a donkey into Jerusalem. And the people are crying, Hosanna to the, king, to the son of David. The king has come. 
They assume he's coming to take his place on that throne right now. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel had prophesied there would be another covenant yet to come. And so, just a few evenings after Jesus rode in on that donkey, he says in Luke 22, on the night of the Passover, the night of the Passover, as he fulfills that Old Testament Exodus type, he says he is the Passover, and in Luke twenty-two nineteen. Here's bread and wine. I'll break it and I give it to you saying, this is my body given for you. Do this and remember me. And the cup, this cup, notice, this cup is the New Testament in my blood shed for you. I forgot to tell you. There's a biblical synonym. You know what a synonym is? An equal word for covenant? It's testament. Jesus said, There is a new covenant, and this bread and this cup symbolize my body and my blood, for I'm bringing the new covenant. And what's the new covenant? The new covenant is summarized within the sense where before God wrote his law upon tables of stone, now Jeremiah says, I'll write them on a table of the heart. I'll write the law in their heart. After we come to know Christ as our Savior based upon His substitutionary life, sacrifice, and His victorious resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes to live within the believer, and we have God's law abiding within us. So that in Romans 13, even if we can't memorize all Ten Commandments and all the other 600 and some things that are attached to it that Israel strove for, we just need to remember to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor like ourself. It truly is a summation. Now, that's civil, but it doesn't save you from your sin. Because it's misleading for me to spend the entire hour of a biblical presentation and give you this sense that even though the Ten Commandments and the law of God is morally obligatory for us, we are expected to obey it. We cannot obey it to secure God's favor. It actually condemns us. It actually condemns us. The reason is, is because when some in Jesus' day attempted to boast how they had kept the law, Jesus was careful to point out to them that they had actually violated it. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said in the Gospel of Luke, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, you know the laws. Yes, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not... And he goes on through it. Honor thy father and thy mother. And Jesus says, but there's one. There's something else. Sell everything you have. Give it away to the poor. Follow me. It says that the rich young man went away grieved because he never touched on that 10th commandment of covetousness. See, what the 10 commandments actually does beyond its moral guidance is spiritually before God, it shows us we need to be forgiven. It shows us we need to be saved from our sin by Jesus. And that's the new covenant. That's the new testament that Christ was bringing, is that he would save us from the condemnation of violating God's moral code. Uh, Because which of us here always honored our mother and our father? Yeah, I know. Me neither. Which of us here have, have ever told a lie against the neighbor or have ever experienced something to which the law of God tells us we're in the wrong? We have. So therefore, 
as much as we admire its moral guidance, we also acknowledge that it spiritually has condemned us in sin. But Romans 3 tells us that that's what it's supposed to do. Show us the need for a Savior and point to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen? We need the Ten Commandments to guide our consciences, to wake us up. We do. We can't be free without it. But we are mistaken to think that Mount Sinai, with its thunder, its lightning, its cloud, its quake of fear, brings us to fellowship with God. It drives us away. Not Mount Sinai. Mount Calvary. With its thunder, its lightning, its cloud and quake of darkness, that draws us to God. Because that's what God thinks of your sin and my sin. He puts it on Christ. But what he puts on Christ, he then takes off us. Well, friends, that was a long, drawn-out presentation. Thank you. Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, I thank you for these.